Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Isn't that awesome? Felt felt like you guys were kind of waiting for a cue to clap. I mean, baptism, if there isn't something worth clapping about in church, it is baptism. Hey, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, We're in the middle of this teaching series called the Kingdom Catechism, where we're looking at what it looks like to, to have our identity, our sense of who we are formed in the way of Jesus. So we started weeks ago looking at the image of God at the beginning of the, all of scripture, talking about how every one of us here in this space bears the image of God. But not just here in this space, it's everyone outside of this space. In fact, all of humanity bears the image of God. And the next week we looked at how it's not just, unfortunately, that we bear the image of God, but it's also that we have been affected by sin. The image of God has been marred because of the impact of sin in this world. But then, fortunately, it doesn't stop there as well, that Jesus enters into this world and offers us a chance to have an, our identity rooted in him. Not anything outside, not limited to our profession or anything else, but rooted in the one who is love and his creator, who came to dwell among us and offer himself for us. And today, we're looking at identity and the role of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we do this, not every time, so, but today I want to do this. I want to give you the big idea right here on the front end. It is, it is not eloquent enough to tweet, uh, but it is very tweetable as far as its length. It's simple to, be, to remember, and I want all of us to have it here at the beginning. So it is this. Here's the big idea of this whole teaching on the Holy Spirit and identity. It's this. The Holy Spirit empowers you to become more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers you to become more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit um, is the member of the Trinity that some have called the shy member of the Trinity. You know, you get the Father, God the Father. Every one of us, I don't know if you're aware of this, in this room has a Father. That's just a biological fact. So we understand God as Father. We can get that. Now, we might have a complicated relationship with our Father, and we might have to work through some things for us to appreciate the fact that God wants to reveal himself as Father, but we can conceptually get that. And then also, we can understand God the Son, Jesus the Christ, because there are four books in the beginning of the New Testament that focus on his birth, life, death, and ministry, and resurrection, and ascension. They're the Gospels. They're given to us and inform our understanding of Jesus so we can understand who Jesus is. Though there is mystery in the fact of his incarnation, we can understand Father and Jesus, but the Holy Spirit. He's a little bit more evasive. In fact, you know, when, when Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3, he uses the word of like, he's like the wind. You never know kind of where he's going to go. You can't control the Holy Spirit. I was reminded of this afresh yesterday working outside with the wind. Anybody feel the wind just <laughs> whipping at you yesterday? That's how... Scripture refers to as the Holy Spirit. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 2, the fifth book of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is described not just as wind, but as fire. Wind and fire. 
So it makes sense a little bit that, you know, we would have a difficult, like maybe understanding or difficult time trying to understand who the Holy Spirit is as he is uh, more evasive. But what I want to do is this. I want to I push past our kind of maybe kind of little intimidation, apprehension with uh, maybe our understanding of the Holy Spirit. I want to push past it because I think there's important, it's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit wants to fill us and empower us to look more like Jesus. So I just want to name three of the things that might keep us in a place of apprehension and keep us from fullness and being filled by the Holy Spirit. The first is maybe there is, because he is like fire and wind, a fear of loss of control. If I surrender myself to the Holy Spirit, if I say yes to Jesus and say, come Holy Spirit, fill me, lead me, there is a sense of kind of like, maybe I will lose complete control over my life. And let me just say, there is that risk. It is true. And it is good for you to lose control of your own life and give it over to God. The best place for the creator to be is in the leadership and the hands of the, uh, sorry, the best place for the creature to be is in relationship and leadership of the creator. So when we give our lives, when we surrender ourselves to God, we don't give ourselves over to somebody who's going to run us off a cliff or lead us down. We, no, we give ourselves to one who knows us and loves us and cares for us. Second thing, second cause maybe for apprehension is that maybe we just don't know. Maybe we're new to this idea of God and we're not familiar with scripture. Maybe we're just figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so like the idea of the Holy Spirit feels like something we haven't yet explored. And if that's you, if kind of the idea of the Holy Spirit is something that is new to you, I want today to help inform you of what God desires for you. And the third thing is that... Um, Maybe there was a negative past experience where somebody blamed their lack of self-awareness on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Ever have one of those? I remember at one point early on in my life, somebody came up to me and said, hey, the Holy Spirit told me to tell you this. And what they said was definitely didn't smell like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Anybody ever had one of those? Uh, let it never happen in the lobby of Anchor Church. But sometimes an experience like that can keep us in a place of apprehension about leaning into the Spirit if somebody blames their lack of self-awareness on the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing, though. If we let our apprehension of the Holy Spirit dictate the terms on our relationship with the Holy Spirit, we live lives of a type of religious head nod to the power of God, but we lack an experience and a hunger for the power of God. Ignatius Hazim, a Greek Orthodox theologian, which also just a dope name. I mean, <laughs> maybe you want to name your firstborn Ignatius Hazim and uh, recommend it. He said this, without the Holy Spirit, God is distant. Christ is in the past. Gospel is a dead letter. The church is simply an organization. Authority is domination. Mission is propaganda. Worship is summoning spirits. And Christian action is the morality of slaves. But let me just tell you this. With the Holy Spirit, things come alive. With the Holy Spirit, things come alive. God is near. Christ is present. The gospel brings life. The church is an organism, not just an organization. It's an organism, a living thing. Kingdom authority is commissioned to us by Jesus as followers of Jesus to live in this world and advance hope, advance love where there is not love and where there is not hope. 
and mission is about advancing the saving reign of Jesus into the world that needs the saving reign of Jesus. With the Holy Spirit, things come alive. So what I want to do is I want to talk about three ways the Holy Spirit informs our identity as Jesus followers. But before that, I just want to kind of clear the air a little bit more and talk about two different important aspects of the Holy Spirit as it relates to us here at Anchor. The first is, um, like, at Anchor, we believe that all of the ways God has worked in the past, he's still working in those ways today. We use this phrase in the anchor track, which is like this deep dive on a Saturday morning. We give you good food and we tell you everything about anchor so that you're never surprised about, you know, anchor in the future. And I was telling a friend about it recently. He was like, hey, you got to come to the next anchor track. He goes, anchor trap? And I'm like, well, it's actually kind of like a trap <laughs> because once you go to it, you're, you're never going to want to leave anchor, you know? Uh, but at the, at the anchor track, we talk about the Holy Spirit in length. We, we, we kind of talk about our, our understanding of the, the theology of the Holy Spirit, um, and we use this phrase of expectation without agenda. Like we want you every Sunday to come in with a deep expectation of how the Holy Spirit will meet you in your life. We want you to come in with your questions, your doubt, your confusions, your hurt, your, your, the, the, everything, your, your hunger, your desire. We want you to come saying, God's going to give me a word today. I'm hungering for it. I desire it. We want you to come in with, a, if there's an area where you need healing in your life, we want you to come in and go to the prayer stations after the teaching and say, would you pray for me? Because I'm desiring that the Holy Spirit might heal me. We, have, we want to cultivate great expectation for the Holy Spirit to work powerfully in the anchor community. But we also don't want to force an agenda. We don't want to say, if God doesn't move in this way, then something's wrong with us or something's wrong with God. We want to allow for mystery in the process of cultivating expectation. That's a culture mark of who we are here at Anchor. But, and also, second, I'm just some of us are new to following Jesus or maybe not yet a Jesus follower in the room. And I'm just like, it's amazing that, that we would have such a cool community where there's people that are following Jesus for a long time and people that are brand new to Jesus. And I just want to say with a primary first work of the Holy Spirit and a, a person that's new to Jesus is that he wants to bring conviction. John chapter 16, which is the gospel, the last gospel in the New Testament. Jesus says the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll bring conviction over sin. And what Jesus is saying there is that the Holy Spirit comes and alerts us to our need for God so that we rely upon God. So we move from self-reliance to God-reliance. And that is something that the Holy Spirit does. The Greek word there for Holy Spirit that's used in John 16 is paraclete, which I geek out on words. So if you're not like me, I apologize, kind of, not really. Um, but paraclete comes from two words, para and cleat. And para means to come alongside. Cleat comes from the Greek word to call. So what does the Holy Spirit do? When he convicts you, he comes alongside you and he calls you to something more. This is what the Holy Spirit does. For some of us, even right now, he's coming alongside you and he's calling you to something more, more than self-reliance, 
more than living according to the script the world has put in front of you. More to the thin and fake identities that the world is offering you. He's calling you to more and to deeper. Okay. Here's the three things that we're going to be looking at as far as the role of the Holy Spirit and identity. I'm going to read them here just so we have them. If the notes takers, you're going to love me this morning. I'm giving you all the information in advance. The first is that the Holy Spirit gives gifts. The second is that uh, the Holy Spirit develops character. And the third is the Holy Spirit brings freedom. But the first, Holy Spirit gives gifts. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. It's not going to be on the screen. So those of you that brought your Bible or love your Bible's apps, you are like, you know, like perfectly aligned. You're perfect right now. Some of you might want to download that Bible app real quick, or you can just listen to uh, the sultry sounds of my voice as I read this. <laughs> now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. A couple things to note there. Right there in verse 7, it says that the Holy Spirit is given, given gifts for the common good. They're given, the gifts are given for the common good. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. In the verse 11, it says, all these are the work of the one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one as he determines. What does that mean? Is that if this room is filled with gifted people, I don't know if any of you were in the kind of like the gifted class in elementary. Doesn't really matter. This room is filled with gifted people. Everyone in this room that has said yes to Jesus and committed to an imperfect but still a pursuit of him has been given gifts. It says there, did you catch that? It says that all these are the work of the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Meaning that the God that knows you, every single one of you, the God that knows you, and like, be assured, God knows you more than you know yourself. The God that knows you has given you a gift that is perfectly fit for you. In fact, he's given you multiple gifts for you to grow up into them and develop them. Why? And what's the purpose? Is it to exalt the self, to build yourself a platform, to get a blue check mark by your name? No. You see that in verse 7? Each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Check this out. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and Ephesians 4, 16. They say really the same thing. The purpose of the gifts is not for me. It's for we. Which runs counter to our world in this moment. It runs incredibly counter. It seems like everybody is chasing notoriety and fame and acclaim. Wanting to become an influencer or develop a role that gives them more financial resources, cultural clout. 
so that they feel better about themselves. But here, Paul says to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. You guys are the supporting ligaments of the body. Grows and builds itself up in love. Each part does its work. There's this interconnectedness that the gifts are for the building up of each other. So let me just say, like, if you're growing in your gifts, one of the ways you use your gifts is for the people that you're around. It's for your anchor group. It's for your neighbors. It's for your family. If you have been given the gift of exhortation, it is for you to exhort others. If you have been given the gift of discerning spirits, it's for you to help give clarity to people that are clouded. If you have been given the gifts of contribution, it's for you and the resources that you have, whether it's intelligence or finance or whatever, to contribute to people that are in need. It is for we, not me, that the gifts are given. Let me ask, let me, let's start to talk about this question because like many of us are instantly asking it. The second we talk about spiritual gifts, we're wondering, okay, how do I even know how and why I'm gifted? Like, I think one of the biggest journeys all of us enter into as followers of Jesus is like the journey of understanding and owning our gifts. Understanding and owning our gifts. I think, I mean, it kind of feels like... Um, you know, maybe arrogant to be like, to stand up and or for one of you to stand up. You don't have to do it now, don't worry. And say, I'm gifted in this way. But actually, I would love that. I would love it if everybody at Anchor was in this place where they were understanding and owning their gifts. Because here's the thing. While arrogance is about comparison, I'm better than you. I was having a conversation with my son on the way to the soccer game yesterday. He goes, Dad, I'm the best defender on the team. I'm like, well, change how we talk. <laughs> I mean, like, I was like, son, that's, that's actually arrogance. Welcome to, yeah. Um, <laughs> confidence is different than arrogance. Confidence is owning what God has given you and desiring to grow in it and not being bashful of it. And I desire that for all of us in here. There used to be, uh, over the last 20 years, one of the main ways that people have kind of learned about their spiritual gifts is through like a spiritual gifts assessment. I just wanna, um, I don't wanna um, write that off, but I do wanna say, you know, if God, the creator God, through his Holy Spirit has given you gifts in this place and you take a 30 minute assessment and then all of a sudden you get this little Scantron sheet or whatever, these percentage results about how you're gifted, I, I think that might be a tool, but it is not the definitive way for you to learn about your spiritual gifts. I think it's actually slightly more complicated, a little bit more messy, and much more beautiful than that. The first way you grow in your giftedness or understand and own your giftedness is by living in community. After two years of following Jesus, I remember a moment, I can even bring you to that place in Ellensburg, Washington, where someone said to me for the first time, I think you have some of the gifts of a pastor. I shifted the conversation quickly and dismissed it because I, I didn't ever think I'd want to become a pastor. 
In fact, at that point in my life, I was pretty convinced that I was gonna be a famous writer and I was gonna drink coffee and have black frame glasses and live in a brick building and with lots of books and maybe smoke pipe tobacco. You know, that's, that's what I was gonna do. So it took me about six or seven more times for people to say, Brian, I think you have some of the gifts of a pastor for me to start actually thinking of whether or not God was calling me to something approximating that. Let me just say, um, if you have ever had the Holy Spirit tap you on the shoulder when you're having a conversation with someone, and in that conversation, you're hearing things in your head or you're noticing things about that person you're talking with. Maybe it's how they listen. Maybe it's the intelligence they seem to at least, seem to at least possess. Maybe it's their creativity. Maybe it's their deep commitment to believing that God was gonna do great things even despite some of the evidence. And if you let those words that you notice not be spoken, you diminish the opportunity for that person to grow in their gifts. But if you speak those words, if you say, you are listen, your, your ability to listen, it's like you actually care. Like I, I haven't experienced this before. If you say, wow, it's clear that like, it seems like God has given you this ability to think critically about things in ways that I actually don't commonly encounter. If you say, I can tell God has given you this, this mantle of deep compassion for people, this desire for justice. I can see that in this conversation. I see this in you. If, if you share those words, that person has the ability to come into, to be able to name and know something about themselves that they may have wondered about but never really felt. And all of a sudden there's a seed that's planted that becomes a tree because of a conversation. Man, I... I tell you what, I want nothing, probably, I can't think of much more that I would want for this community, for the lobby conversations and the anchor group conversations and the coffee conversations and the walk conversation to be filled with moments like that. Where the person says, they really saw that in me? Huh. We have six interns, holler, um, here at Anchor, um, and one of the most beautiful things I get to overhear is the conversations our pastor of spiritual formation, Susan Bautirsa, has with these six gifted interns. As they're exploring their giftedness and how God has wired them. Let it be so for all of us here that we would not skim on community but go deep in community to the point where somebody knows us and can name our giftedness and call out the gold that God has placed within us by the power of the spirit so that we could all be growing in our giftedness and owning that. Sometimes it's not just community. It's like we actually hear a word from the Lord. I am not a person that like, um, like the, it's not, I, I'm not a person where God speaks in clear paragraphs constantly. I'm not that, like, I don't, I'm going to come to the listening prayer event because I want to be, put myself in a place where I can listen, to, you know, tonight. Um, but I have had times where God has spoken to me. Um, and one time was at a critical point in Candace Knight's life. We're living in Massachusetts and um, 
I had done a year of ministry and been burnt out after that year of ministry, even though I don't know burnt out was the right words, but that's how I'd have described it at that point. And I wanted to become a writer. So we moved to Massachusetts so I could be a famous writer and my wife could become a famous photographer. And uh, after not getting accepted the schools I wanted to get accepted at, I worked nights at Trader Joe's while my wife went to school and during the day. So we saw each other in little snatches here and there, but one thing that that brought about was this boiler moment in our life where we were asking, what direction are we gonna go? And I found myself over a process of weeks on my knees at a critical point in that year, crying out to God, God, what am I gonna do? Where am I gonna go? Trader Joe's is a decent company, God, but where, is there... Is it ministry? Is it this writing thing? Is it something else? Is it, what, what, like, I feel so heavy right now and I, I want to be able to know what's next and I have no idea what's next. And after weeks of on my knees, and I, I, remember, I felt as, as much as one can feel, God say, Brian, I'm calling you to teach and build up. And now I'm not saying in any shape or fashion that I am the best teacher in the world. Every Sunday afternoon, I'm keenly aware of that, that I'm not. But those words there have been a North Star for our family ever since. Ever since that point, we decided, okay, we're leaving Massachusetts. We're going to study theology because if I'm going to teach and build up, then I want to be taught and built up. So after years of study, after a couple years of studying, we, we set out to like, okay, what does this mean? A pastoral ministry or something? And in the pandemic, um, when everybody's living in their in their in their houses and apartments and I'm in this little office we made in our guest room Candace brought the sign in and it just said teach and build up teach and build up sometimes it's community in fact it's always community that helps us grow and own and live into our gifts sometimes it's a direct word from the Lord where the Lord says something and it alters a course I, I desire for every one of you to have those two things that help develop and shape your sense of giftedness. Let me just say this. Your giftedness that God has given you through his Holy Spirit does not mean that you have a profession waiting for you that is incredibly symmetrical to your giftedness. Profession, employment, is different from giftedness. In fact, if in 20 years I end up transitioning out of pastoral ministry to some teaching role, I still think I would be operating within my giftedness. It would just be a different profession. This is important for some of us because we think, oh, I lost my giftedness because I left my profession. Or I can't live into my giftedness because I can't get the job. Two different things. And it's important for us to remember that. The Holy Spirit empowers you to become more like Jesus. And the, us growing in our gifts are an incredibly important part of that. Because when you look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, in fact, Luke, it says he came in the power of the Spirit. Meaning that there was this overflow of the Holy Spirit's work in, even in Jesus' life. So in his healings, in his teaching, in his compassion, in his miracles, these are a really kind of a gift. This is the Holy Spirit working in and through Jesus. 
And so when the Holy Spirit brings us gifts and when we live into our gifts, that is really what's happening is, is more than us just feeling good about ourselves because I'm so gifted. It's, it's actually us looking more like the one who we encounter in the Gospels, Jesus Christ. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus as we grow in our giftedness. But it's not just giftedness. It's the, the Holy Spirit develops character. These two things are incredibly important. Sometimes they're intention, as we'll talk about here in a moment. But in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 26, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and, provoking and envying each other. Two things to draw out here is that this list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forbearance is, is not just a nice, of kind of, a nice list of personality traits of a model citizen. It might be that, but it's actually much more. It is actually the very character of Jesus Christ. So the work of the Spirit is growing you in the gifts of the Spirit so that you look, your ministry reflects the ministry of Jesus and the work of the Spirit is also growing you in the character of Jesus so that your character reflects the character of Jesus. Both of these things find their, their climax, as it were, in you growing into looking more and more like Jesus. The second thing that's important is that um, the fruit of the Spirit is process-oriented. God does not work according to the rules of the microwave. You can't hot-pocket character into your life. It's not two minutes and all of a sudden, boom, you have character. You're welcome. Let the character burn the top of your mouth. Paul uses this language of fruit which takes seasons and time, which, let's be honest, is annoying. <laughs> Five years ago, my wife and I were given this um, fig tree. And by fig tree, I mean it was actually just a stick. And we kind of thought it was a practical joke. Somebody was playing on us. It literally, do you want to, I mean, plant a stick in the ground? Is that like, so what we did. Um, and one year, it grew a couple leaves. Oh, it's not a stick. <laughs> it was this summer, it was the first summer that there was fruit. There are two figs. I ate both of them. <laughs> they didn't taste that good. <laughs> I'm considering cursing the fig tree. Um, no. There is this work of invisible work that the Holy Spirit does before there is fruit. It's called the work of roots. The work of roots, putting these receivers of life down deep in your soul, drawing strength from the life of God, abiding with, the, in, with Jesus and the power of the Spirit, so that these roots, after they go down, they start to bloom into fruit. Let me just tell you, everyone in the room, the character of Jesus Christ formed 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, named the fruit of the Spirit, is not an instantaneous thing. It is process-oriented. And for those of us that look in the mirror and say, I just wish I was more loving. I wish I had more patience. I wish I had more peace in my soul. I wish I had more, more kindness towards others. I wish I could forgive easier for all of us. And that's every one of us that has questions like that, whether we look in the mirror, we open our journal, or have a conversation, and we regret what we said afterwards. For every one of us that's in a situation like that, let me just say, sometimes it's a five-year journey for you to see the growth. But God's not going to leave you during that five years. He's doing the important, vital work of helping you put roots down so you can draw strength from him. And mark my words, the people that know you for a long period of time will look you in the eyes if you stay with Jesus and you stay dependent on the Spirit. They'll look you in the eyes because I said we should tell that to each other earlier. They'll look you in the eyes and they'll say, there are things the Spirit of God has done in you that you're a different person than you were. Because I saw you then and I'm seeing you now. This is what God wants to do in every one of us. I mentioned the tension between the spirits and the gifts, the, spirit, the gifts of the spirit and the, and the fruit of the spirit. And because I think it's, there's some churches, there's some people, there's some that, that value the gifts over the fruit. And when we value the spiritual gifts over the fruit, we usually exalt certain personality types that are really gifted and we turn a blind eye to their faults. And when we turn a blind eye to their faults and we exalt their giftedness, we create toxic environments where, where people's power and influence is on display, sometimes at the expense of the community. Because we're saying, look how gifted they are. But look how gifted they are. Look how gifted they are. The scriptures, they value the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit equally. And when there's not the fruit of the Spirit, it means that the gifts of the Spirit need more time maturing before they're ready for display. We at Anchor take both of those things incredibly seriously because we think together they are marks of, the, of, of Jesus. And apart, they aren't the full picture of Jesus. We want every one of you to grow in your gifts. We want every one of you to be on this journey of growing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Because the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to become more like Jesus. Doesn't want to empower you to be Jesus. None of us here are the Messiah. But we are increasingly, by the Spirit's work, more Christ-like. The last point, and I'll invite the band up at this point, and this is really an appetizer for next week, so, um, you know, come next week. Um, the Holy Spirit brings freedom. Man. Romans 8, 14 to 16 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit wants to turn you from a slave into a child. 
Why, what does it mean to be a slave? It means that, that I, am, I am in indentured servitude to my sin, to others' approval, to my own uh, shallow sense of worth, to my need to control things, to my need to appear proficient. And when you are in indentured servitude to any of those things, you are without freedom. The Holy Spirit wants to bring freedom wants to let you know the load that you're carrying is not a load that your shoulders are fit for. And the best place for you is to relinquish that load and give it to him who alone can carry that load. His name is Jesus, so that you receive freedom at his expense and you get this identity as a, his God's kid and not as a slave. The spirit of God brings that. The spirit of God brings that. Like I said, we're gonna be talking more about that next week. But I wanna read this lines of this hymn from this poet, William Cooper. These are lines I return to often when I need to remind myself about who I am. When I find myself reaching back for servitude again, for slavery again, when Jesus has called me to freedom by the power of his spirit, I read these words and these words are, when in Christ I see the law fulfilled. What is the law? It's what I cannot do by my own strength and only Jesus can do for me. When in Christ I see the law fulfilled and I hear his pardoning voice, it transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. When in Christ, you see the law fulfilled. All those things you're struggling and laboring for, gritting your teeth and working, and you can't do it because that mountain can't be climbed by you. When in Christ, you see that fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice. He's saying to you, come, relinquish. When in Christ, you see the law fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice. It turns a slave into a child and duty into choice. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. The Holy Spirit develops character. The Holy Spirit brings freedom. And that's what I desire in this place. I have an expectation, no agenda, but an expectation that the Holy Spirit would grow and increase in his power and influence in this place. So I want to invite you to stand. Every week, we give you an opportunity for prayer. So there's prayer stations at both of the ends of the stage. And every time we give, every day or every Sunday, we give you a chance to receive communion, to be reminded that the crux, literally the crux of time and the crux of our lives, we meet a God who says, brokenness does not have the last word. So you'll hear if you come forward, if you've said yes to Jesus, whether today or years ago, you'll hear Christ's body given for you and Christ's blood shed for you because your wrongs are not held against you. They are made clean and clear by the saving work of Jesus Christ. And you're invited to be reminded of that, to hear his pardoning voice again today. You're invited for prayer. You're invited for communion. You're invited to lean in with expectation for what the Holy Spirit desires to do in your life and in this place.